Hi, this is Steve. And this is Lisa. And this is our podcast called True Anon, the podcast dedicated to capturing Jeffrey Epstein and every person he ever worked with. <laughs> that's the podcast of our home right now. Oh, it's sorry. Yeah. Wait, all that's you not, spew out. <laughs> that's not our podcast. It's, it's not. It's yes. my personal podcast. Via <laughs> my husband, you are, you are obsessed with that podcast. Yes, and when I said catching Jeffrey Epstein, I mean because he's still alive. <laughs> yeah, you are. Body doubles are. You're a thing. just a conspiracy theorist now. Yeah, it's well, highly I've been, entertaining. I've been red pills. I've been red pilled. <laughs> all right, you keep living in the matrix. I took the red pill. I'm figuring it all out. No, I know you came home and you Open told me. Open your eyes, Lisa. <laughs> Wake up. No, yeah, you. I mean, you are forcing my eyes open. You yes. really like it's it's happening. You're holding them for me. Yes, <laughs> I'm like the older brother holding you down and holding your eyelids open to like spit in them or something. Yeah, my brother wasn't very mean to me, so I don't really know what they do that for. But you know, yeah, we're lucky that he wasn't that way. Yeah, no, this. So in reality, this is our podcast called "I Married a History Teacher." Yes, in reality, we are much softer on the man around here. <laughs> we, know, are. We, are not, we don't know enough, really. Yeah. I mean, we, we might be harder if we had all the intel yeah. that uh, apparently this Jeffrey Epstein podcast you guy You certainly is. don't have to be red-pilled to appreciate our uh, our podcast. No. Except today, I don't know. Well, maybe. it depends what kind of pill we're talking. Yeah. There's, is there more than one red pill? Well, I think it's sort of a generic term to <laughs> accepting a, you know, but I guess. It was a joke. It was a bad joke about uh what kind of drugs you would need to enjoy our podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a good joke. Yeah. It went right over my head, though. I apologize. Yeah, well, you're just so busy living in reality and not the Matrix. It's hard to catch. It's true. Catch what uh, us, you know, plebeians are saying. It's true. Yeah. I can't wait to be doing this a year from now and do a proper episode on Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, you're going to do it? His evil ring of, of pedophiles. Yes. Okay. But that's not for today. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's actually not related at all, I would guess. It's not. No, it's, well, not really, no. Well, you can argue it in. Maybe we'll work it at the end. Maybe we won't. I don't know. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> Lisa, for today's topic, mm-hmm. I'm going to show you a clip, all right? And the audience is going to be able to hear the clip, but you get able to watch it too, right? Technology, you know? Yep. I, uh, I get the twofer. The old the vi- twofer. The visual and the audio. All right, all right let's go. Let's do it. You say why America is the greatest country in the world? Diversity and opportunity. Lewis? Uh, freedom and freedom. So let's keep it that way. Well, why is America not the greatest country in the world? Professor, that's my answer. You're saying yes. Let's talk about fine. Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of her paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it anytime he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey, and with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yeah, you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is 
There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're seventh in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, third in median household income, number four in labor force, and number four in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? Now, Lisa. <laughs> That's a great intro for what we're going to be talking about today, but let's talk about that show for a little bit. Okay. Do you know what show that was? I've seen that clip. I can't remember the name of the show. It's called The Newsroom. It was an HBO show. Yep, yep, yep. My opinion, like the worst HBO show ever made, actually. Yeah. Even that acting wasn't that great, to be honest with you. (laughs) It's an interesting speech, but like that guy delivers it kind of weirdly. First of all, do not speak ill of Jeff Daniels. He's the best part of that show. <laughs> well, Jeff Daniels is from Dumb and Dumber, so he is permanently awesome. I'm not hating on him. I just, it was just a weird, I don't know. Yeah, so I actually hated that show because it's Aaron Sorkin, the writer, and I don't like watching Aaron Sorkin because they have everyone talk in a way that people don't talk. Maybe that's why I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. The, the rhythm's all weird. Yeah. They have four different conversations while having one conversation. It's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. But it would have great moments like that speech. So I would like yeah. kept stringing me to watch the next episode. Mm. But eventually I was just like, God, this is awful. Yeah. I can't do it. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's um, fair. But anyway, Lisa, mm-hmm. um, we're going to talk about a concept today called American exceptionalism. Okay, this is a this is a recommendation from Eric Catton, and it's also because we got so much positive feedback from our um, military industrial complex episode. Mm. I wanted to do another sort of concept episode, where okay. rather than we focus on a person or an event or whatever, mm. we're talking about a concept that's arguable. Maybe it's somewhere this thing exists. It's somewhere between like myth and reality, and it means different things to different people. All right. Well, I think you chose a great follow-up then if, if uh, the military-industrial complex got got good reviews. It did. That's lot, great. Buzz, got a lot of buzz. A lot of buzz. A lot of buzz. Ether. Yeah. I heard everyone was talking about it on Twitter. I think it was trending. <laughs> it's really embarrassing. I was about to make the exact same joke. Yeah. Well, it just means we're both comedic geniuses. <laughs> yep. There's no other explanation. Yes. Mm. I tell you what is exceptional is this Mexican stout. I was going to ask. From Birdsong in, in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte? Yeah. I grabbed it from a bottle shop um, that had a bunch of Asheville and Charlotte beers. Oh, got it. Nice. Um, it's very good. Can I try your soap? Yeah, it's not nearly as good as the Abraxas from Perennial, but what is? It's also like a fraction of the cost, so value pick for sure. It's got a nice little spice to it at the end. Ooh, I do like this. Yes. That is really nice. Really drinkable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. So let's talk about American exceptionalism now. Okay. All right. So that... Make great beers. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, yes. That little clip is kind of a little bit of a warm-up to, to American exceptionalism, not only by based on that girl's question, but the sort of audience reaction to Jeff Daniels' answer, right? Mm-hmm. So let's start off by asking this, Lisa, mm. to you, because I think, you know, I've been looking into what this concept is a lot recently. 
Yeah. But you haven't been because no. you're a normal human being going about your life. Well, you prepare for this pod and I don't is basically what it comes down yeah, to. Yeah, sure. That's kind of what I mean. But I think you will represent the voice of most of our listeners who have heard this phrase and kind of thought about it passively. What is American exceptionalism to you? What does um, it mean to you? Well, it's funny because I think the answer would have been different at different stages of my learning and understanding of the world and also even just before watching that video, which is obviously going to shape a bit of my thinking. Um and I do, I think it's, I think what's so cool about that video is it kind of shows the two camps in my experience, which is the belief that America is an exceptional country um, for a number of tangible and intangible reasons um, from like, you know, God chose this country to be the greatest country. We are the you know, the biggest military. We just had the best culture that you hear a lot in either explicitly or implicitly. Um and then there is and that that kind of belief that's just not even questioned and um and just a, a given. And then there's the other side of it, um, which um what's his name? Jeff Daniels. Daniels. Um captured, which is like the kind of the the hatred towards that attitude and the how dare you think that of our country. You're so ignorant to the rest of the world. How could you how could you view it that way? Um, and they're both, in a way, very arrogant. <laughs> um, I mean, you can hear the arrogance in that guy talking, in Jeff's yes. talking, right? I mean, it, it, there are no absolutes in this world. And um, it, to, to, to expect anyone to really fully understand what's going on in such a big, complex world is, is a little... Well, we can now end the podcast because oh, instead of giving a, uh, a quick definition of what she thinks American exceptionalism is, she just broke down the entire philosophy in about three minutes. That's not the whole philosophy. So what? you want to turn this off and throw on no, some That 70s what? Show? No. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind. It's, a good, it's been a great little show for us recently. Um, oh, sorry. So I didn't answer the right way? I was kind of just hoping that you would give me like a – uh, a sentence or two about what you think American exceptionalism is, what the concept is, almost like a definition. Oh, uh, American exceptionalism is thinking that America is a supreme country in the world and uh, is better for a number of reasons. I don't know. I mean, yes. I said that before, but you did. If I, have you ever known me not to ramble? I mean, well, what were you expecting? Yeah, that was that's fair. That's way too complex of a question. I can't just say what does it mean to you. I should have been very explicit. Give me a definition of what American exception. Well, you is. have to give me a sentence limit. It really, if that's what your okay. if your fear is that I'm going to go t- too deep down right. the rabbit. So hole. here's what I want to do because I thought it was pretty good. Why don't you restate in a simple sentence for our listening audience what is American exceptionalism? What? I've already tried twice. No, just give me this. Repeat this short sentence you said, just so we have a focus here moving forward. America is the best country in the world. Yes. In a nutshell, that's what American exceptionalism is, right? What we're going to do now is we're going to talk about the origins of the term because it's actually really interesting. Okay. And then American exceptionalism also comes in three different phases of American history. Mm -hmm. We're going to break down those three phases. We're going to talk about them a little bit. Okay. But you already covered a lot of it in your. Oh, in your I did not. Story. I just I mentioned I, I, no phases, <laughs> no origins. It's all, right. all good. All right. And if it's not, then uh, doesn't matter because we're not the listeners. So sucks right. to be you guys. 
Don't say that to our listeners. (laughs) The number one least thing you want to say. The number one least thing. All right. I'll keep that in mind. You were just reminding me of like this one time I was buying beer and I was young and finally springing for a nice beer. And I walk up there. The guy scans it at the store he owns Mm. and goes, oh, man, that's expensive beer. (laughs) I was like, what the hell, man? You just did the equivalent of it. Yeah, well, um, it's a bummer because we have even more money in this game than that guy did in in the beer store. So much money riding on this. (laughs) All right, let's get to it. So a lot of people say this phrase, American exceptionalism, actually comes, ironically, from a Frenchman. This Frenchman's name is Alexis de Tocqueville. Does that name mean anything to you, Lisa? I recognize the name. That's, That's it. Uh, you actually, for our first Hanukkah that we celebrated together, got me a gift. It was a book. Oh, on the French Revolution. On the French Revolution. It's called The O-Regime and the French Revolution by Alexis de Tocqueville. Oh, maybe that's why it's familiar. He is very famous for writing that book that you turned into a clock. Mm-hmm. So it's really cool because I like clocks and I like the French Revolution. Yeah. Very creative. Yeah, you. I was really getting after you back then. Yeah. <laughs> all stops. yeah. Um, and But he also wrote a book called A Democracy in America. Mm. And in that book... He actually made a statement that I'm mildly paraphrasing here, saying that America's start, the creation of America, was exceptional Mm. and needed to be studied because it's going to usher us into a new democratic world. Mm. A lot of people say that's where you see the birth of this coin, of this term, this phrasing. This Mm. is around the 1830s or so. 1830s. Yes. I would also like to add in there that hysterically, immediately after admitting that Americans had something exceptional about them, that he went on to shit all over the culture and saying that they're nothing compared to French culture, <laughs> which is like the most French thing ever, right? It really is. <laughs> like, sure, this democracy thing's a good idea, but anything else, they're just a bunch of rednecks. <laughs> um, yeah. Huh. And, so, like, a lot of people th- say that that's where the, the phrase is from, but it's actually from something even more outrageous than a Frenchman inventing the term American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. The actual phrase was first used by Joseph Stalin. What? <laughs> yeah, dude. So, here's what happened. An American Marxist, like a famous, apparently, I'd never heard of him, uh, but he's a famous American Marxist named Jay Lovestone, and he was a self-proclaimed Marxist. Right in like the 1920s when Joseph Stalin was taking over the Soviet Union. And there was apparently some communication between the two. And the American, Jay Lovestone, he said that we're going to have things a little bit different here. Like we don't need a full Marxist revolution Mm. because we have enough resources and our capitalistic and democratic values lend themselves enough to have like a strong communist socialist president without presence without having a full-on revolution Hmm. so he made that statement and stalin lost it he like unofficially exiled him from the communist party and like um he used that phrase you're like an american exceptionalists insultingly sarcastically like you think america is too good for true marxism you're nothing right and Hmm. that's where the phrase has its origins that's really interesting um Mm -hmm. Because, like, the first part you're talking about when they're talking – because there is so – because of what you've told me about how the Constitution came to be and, like, the unique nature of our country and really how impressive what the Founding Fathers did. I mean, there is something exceptional about what happened there. You're getting ahead of us again. What? what? Come on. All right, fine. because there's literally something we're talking about with the three phases of American exceptionalism. Uh, 
And that's what you're literally just getting ahead of the fine. But I'm just going to say that it, it lends itself to the notion. And I would, the other thing I would say is, um, and I forgot about, well, I didn't actually, that's probably what I would my answer before I watched that YouTube video, which is I always viewed American exceptionalism as an insult. Um, like I heard that a lot and, uh, it's funny that Stalin started that. Yeah. And I, sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I just think what you're talking about is it's one of those concepts that it means so many different things to so many different people. Yes. So you always saw it as an insult yeah. where a lot of people will think it, take it very literally and are very proud of American exceptionalism. Mm. And if they found out that this is coming from Stalin, it would probably blow their mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and I also think the people that are proud of American exceptionalism maybe aren't always running in the circles where people use it and fling it as an insult. Yes. Um, you know, but... Yeah. Um, which is mostly like the international community. But um, I, it's also funny with Stalin now that I know how – I always knew he was murderous, but I guess I didn't realize how much he exploited communism to just be able to take over the state and have complete control. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, well, fuck you, man. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the only reason you hate it is because you can't have as much control in that, in that context. Right. But anyways, I, I yeah. mean, there's all sorts of problems with it. Right, of um, course, of course. Yeah. Um, and then historically, just to, so we're all clear, it's sort of the phrase sort of phased out of American culture through like the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Of the 1800s or 1900s? 1900s. Okay. So it was a thing from like 1830 to like mid-1900s? Yes. Okay. And then it sort of faded out of our vernacular until a certain president gave a certain speech. Do you know what I'm talking about? Reagan? 1980s. Reagan gave a speech. Do you know what I'm referring to? No, I just assumed it was Reagan if it was around that time. Yeah, so he, he compares America to the shining city on the hill, um, which is going to bring back this this sort of mentality of American exceptionalism, um, which is his, the sort of Reagan shining city on the hill, is what most people think of when they think of American exceptionalism today, just like we are the example for the world. Okay. Right? Now, before I give what I, I would say is my definition of American exceptionalism, mm. I think it's important to break down the phases of this throughout our history because it's slightly different. Mm. Okay? So phase one is that America is particularly unique in its creation. And this is why I didn't want you to go too far down that path a couple minutes ago. Okay. Because we will need to talk about this eventually. So I'm going to list all three and then we're going to break them down. Okay. Okay? So there's the uniqueness creation, the democratic government with laissez-faire economics. Mm-hmm. This is what de Tocqueville was referring to when he first said that we were exceptional. Mm-hmm. Right? Second is the way we used it to justify imperialism and much more accurately manifest destiny. Mm-hmm. So this is sort of your 1830s to mid-1930s. Mm-hmm. All right. And then again, it disappeared from our vernacular and it was sort of rebirthed by Ronald Reagan in his Shining City on the Hill speech. And a lot of people argue that what you can sort of take a modern take on it is that the Republicans sort of adopted that, right? And they sort of branded themselves the party of America who's super proud of everything America does, Mm -hmm. right? Until 2016 with the last election where Donald Trump started saying, make America great again. Hillary Clinton sort of combated it by saying, America is great. We are already great and always have been great. Mm. So now there's sort of like both parties are sort of involved in this concept of like we can't say bad things about America. America has this exceptionalism. Yeah, it's a definitely a different spin. And 
the, I feel like maybe it's been like splintered a little bit, but they own different parts of it very strongly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, let's break this down then, Liz. Yeah, let's do it. How legit do you think American exceptionalism is when we're talking about the creation of the United States of America? Because I have, I have pros and cons, and I will also like to say that I think this is probably the one that is the closest thing we have to being exceptional, is this unique in our creation. How legitimate I think it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I do, I do think it's very legitimate, because, but, be, but because of everything else that had happened in the world leading up to then. Because I think the timing was fairly recent, right? And there was a ton to have, be, to have learned from other uh, democracies that had been formed. And there was this kind of, it did, it kind of felt like this really special time where a lot of really intelligent people um, came together and were given liberty to create something special. So I do, I think that it was really remarkable, I think. Again, on this podcast, we've talked a lot about how some of their intentions have gotten twisted, how some of the way our, our political parties have have come to be have like kind of thwarted a lot of their intent. But um, but I think the original design was pretty remarkable. Yeah. Okay. I'm with you on that. Um, I, I, I'm going to say some things that I came up with that I think would agree are exceptional and are not exceptional. Okay. Right? A couple things. Americans did not invent democracy. The no. Greeks and the Romans did it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, thousands of years later, we had our own democracy. And a lot of it was based off of English and French philosophers and yep. stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. But we, in all practice, practicality, put it into place. Right. right. And we did it. And we did it in a time in the world where everyone was either almost tribalist or an empire or a kingdom. Right. Right. That's pretty cool. It is. It is. And, it's, right? and it's, it's cool to know that it's smart to learn from other other um, successful ventures. Yeah. Another issue, though, of what's not great that you can argue is that, like, this sounds lovely, Mm -hmm. but it really wasn't a democracy for everyone. Yeah. And we also, it was a country that was created based off of a genocide of one people and enslavement of another people. Yes, 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 yes. As I was saying that, I was um, thinking about those very, very hard truths. Yeah. Um, that is not exceptional. Yes. That is disgusting. I honestly think you can make an argument that what we created was not necessarily democracy, but just like a pretty large plutocracy where all the power just was associated in the hands of a few people, right? Yeah. Actually, now that I'm thinking a little bit more, I don't... (sighs) But I mean, it is good in theory, and let's let's not take away from this. It's a step in the right direction to have democracy. American democracy was still definitely a better step in the right direction than European monarchies. Yeah. 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 Um, Yes. Not to mention, like, again, we have said this a million times. We have the most copied constitution in the world. Right. Just that fact alone is kind of along the lines of American exceptions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess um, I think that I guess history also teaches us, like, you know, great things come out of awful things and vice versa. Um, So... Yeah, but it, uh, yeah, I guess it's really not, we should not underscore, or we should underscore and not ignore all of the violence that came yes. with the founding of this country. Yeah. Right. And this is a big part of what American exceptionalism is. I didn't really say my definition, so I'm going to say it right yeah. now. I meant yeah. to. Is American exceptionalism is sort of this belief that we are the best country in the world, not only sort of culturally mm. or 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 
you know, politically, mm. but also morally, that we're some virtuous, superior right. sort of country. Right. And part of that is ignoring the bad things we've done. Exactly. And celebrating the good things we've done. Exactly. Like a, like a huge magnifying glass on liberating the Jews and a complete amnesia over what we did to take over this land and what we did to, um, to be able to have so many gains in farming and, and, yeah. and economic stuff in the South and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it is. It's, like, very convenient. And the thing is, it's, like, it's genuine. Like, it's a genuine ignorance. Like, people genuinely forget. People genuinely aren't taught or to think that way. As an American history teacher, that's because that's what we teach them. Right, right, right. Exactly. It's, it's like we talk about the Trail of Tears because it's one incident. Yeah. We don't talk about the full-scale wipeout. Like, I don't care what they teach you in like UN school or whatever there was you were in. Yeah. What Americans did to the Native Americans was a full on freaking genocide. Yeah. There's like ten countries that have had a genocide in the modern world and the United States is one of them. Make right. no mistake about it. Yeah. And I and slavery was also much more brutal than is often talked about in history class. Um yeah, that it's kind of incredible that we say so little about it. Well, yeah, we, of course we do it. Of course we do. And like, I don't even, that's not what the Germans do. I yeah, mean, let's, like, let's, let's move on. Let's move on to this. Cause we're already, we're already slipping into the, to it too much. But the yeah. second phase, yeah. I, I want to spend the least amount of time on it. Cause it's, a, it's an absurd concept. So we kind of brought back American exceptionalism to basically justify manifest destiny, which is spreading across the entire, you know, modern what, day. Can you, shit. I, this is where my history holes come in. Yeah, what no, is that's it again? a good question. I'm actually glad. Manifest destiny was this concept that it was the destiny of America because we are this superior, exceptional country. Yeah. It is our right to spread from, from ocean to ocean, uh-huh. okay, take over as much land as we could. Uh-huh. And that's when we did. It was like sort of right after the Civil War and even beginning, like before the Civil War. Go west, young boy. It's like, or go yet west, my son. I don't, whatever. It, it was like, let's take all this land from Native Americans because we have the best country. It's our destiny. Yeah, wait, sorry. You're going to kill me. But I just, yeah. I thought of one thing I wanted to say about the Trail of Tears thing. Sorry. That's all right. That I think is part of the American exceptionalism and like the, the blinders that we have on. When we talk about what happened to the Native Americans, it's always in terms of like the British settlers that came over to America. And then all of a sudden it's like America and it's like, we were the British settlers. Like it was us. And it's like John Smith, he's from England. And like, you know, it's like, there's literally like a, it's um, a dissociation. It's really interesting that that was the Brits. And then, but anyways, okay. So that was my only thing. Um, But back to um, what you were saying. Yes, so that's what Manifest Destiny yeah, is. Yeah, think, yeah. Of it, think of Manifest Destiny as nothing more than imperialism on the continu- contiguous United States of America. Yeah, and at this time, because of my ignorance about the Native Americans in particular, when we were spreading west, were we still killing Native Americans? Oh, it was part of the, it was part of the whole plan. Oh, Jesus Christ. Excuse but me. we were going to bless this land, Lisa. It was our destiny. Because I remember, I feel like I learned about the Manifest Destiny and I didn't really have like because the icky feels about it. you teach it as expanding and then you talk about the Mexican-American War where we started the war with the Mexicans to take one-third of their land away. It's California, New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas. We yeah. just started a war with Mexico so we take that land called it Manifest Destiny. 
All right, and then to a certain extent, imperialist. The United States wasn't as imperialistic in terms of like getting on ships and heading to other places, but I mean, we did take over places like Guam, American Samoa, Hawaii, places like that. Right. All right, and that was all done under American exceptionalism because we have a better culture. We have this guy named Jesus Christ, and we need to teach everyone about this dude named Jesus Christ, who very ironically would have been extremely against killing people and able to like to make them Christian. Uh. Obviously, <laughs> yeah. uh, obviously. Not to mention, he was also. We don't even joke about this a lot, but you know, he was an Arab. So- <laughs> he was an Arab hippie socialist. <laughs> he was an Arab hippie socialist. He was, he was from the Jew. Middle East. He preached all the time about like not being rich. There's like a plot from or a line from the Bible that literally says. A camel has a better chance of fitting through a hole in the the needle, a hole in a needle than a rich man does to have to go to heaven. That's just from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Right? It's so funny. It's that's not really the point. We're getting a little off track. But yes. Yeah, but yeah, wow. Yeah, no. Oh, that's so gross. Because you know how we talked about there's like um, you know, collective feelings about things and like collective memories and society and like I, again I don't I didn't really know a lot about manifest destiny, um which is terrible now that I'm really fully realizing what it's associated with. But the association I had with the word just based on it being being an American was kind of like a positive one. It's like, oh, manifest destiny. Like, well, it, like, it, well, that's what it was. That's why it's one of those things. Like when we were doing it, it was super positive. You were like a freaking war hero so if you went out and killed a bunch of Native Americans. So disgusting. All right. That's why I don't think we need to talk about this more often. I think it's really easy to look back on manifest destiny. And even though we're taking full advantage of it now, like California is like this massive economic hub for the United States. Yeah. The whole story is like definitely tarnished, right? I don't think we need to talk about how legit. This I want to do a pod on manifest destiny. Okay, we'll I don't do think it. anyone knows about this, and if they do, then sorry guys, I'm an idiot. But um, yeah, I think we should like get into it for real because I don't think people know that. The, I mean, I, I yeah, that's really gross. There's a Chappelle show line where Native Americans are on a plane, mm-hmm. and they're sitting in front in first class in front of white people mm-hmm. who are sitting in coach, and they see the white people sit behind him and he goes uh-oh whitey's sitting behind me better not get up or they'll take my seat call it manifest destiny <laughs> yep right so dave Chappelle knew about it he did all right let's um, talk about the third and final phase which is i'm sure what most people just kind of wanted to talk about this whole time which is the modern concept mm-hmm. right and as i mentioned it was modernized and brought back into the to the political lights by Ronald Reagan talking about being a shiny city on the hill, that we're this example for people and that we need to be, you know, the greatest country in the world and be the role model for everyone. Yeah. I think for historical context here, Lisa, while you're thinking of, of, of comments to make about modern American exceptionalism, mm. you have to put it in place that this was the Cold War. Right. And America put a lot of energy into propaganda mm-hmm. stating that democracy and, and capitalism is holy and perfect and communism and socialism was evil. Mm-hmm. So it was like really easy for him to stand there and say this because we'd done this incredible job saying we're the good guys because we're capitalist and democratic. Right. But if you're over in the Soviet Union and you're a socialist, then 
And you're like, that's like Darth Vader talking about how he's the good guy. Yep. So what do you think, Lisa? Or do we, is America inherently good or bad in the modern world? Do we deserve to be, feel exceptional? Um, no, we definitely deserve to feel exceptional. I think that we can have respect for the good things that happened in our history. There's no, no, we're not talking history. Let's talk about American, modern America. Oh, modern America right now. Yeah. Going to Reagan. I mean, this counts going like any, anything that's happened between like the 1980s through today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't like to be black and white in things because I think there is no real true good and evil in any way, shape, or form. I also think that, like, everything is a product of their environment and their knowledge. And um, people do horrible things, but they also are taught ignorance and hate. And um, and unfortunately, humans sometimes are really slow on the uptake on what it's, what they, how they should be treating each other. But um, – as of now, I mean, there are good things about America. Absolutely. I mean, I think. What are some good things? Like inherently good. You can't argue whether or not it's good things that America does. Um, I mean, your field, you're surrounded by this sort of stuff. What do you think? Oh, you mean like in, in terms of. Yeah, I'm not even talking about America. American government. I'm talking about Americans in general, American institutions, yeah, well, anything like that. Well, uh, um, America is the most generous public of any country in the world when it comes to donating charities. Um, so I think that is a very good part of our culture. Um, I think that there, and this totally depends on where you come from and what class and race you are, but I do think that there still is a belief to an extent and a truth to an extent that justice is possible in this country, that you have a number of resources, whether it be the courts or, you know, smart well-trained lawyers or nonprofits um, that can help you, you know, get what's your, like, you know, be if, righted if you've been wronged, um, f- serve justice if it needs to be served. It, it's certainly not always the case, but I, it happens. And it's not a perfect system, but it can and does happen here. And I think there's a sure. lot of countries that doesn't. And again, you have to bust in and say that not everyone would even agree that the American justice system is fair for everyone. But that's oh, not, yeah, and it's not, but it's still... We're not going to get into that right now. It, but, but it's not... Uh, it still can work, and it does work at times. I yes. mean, I think, and we, we see that. And sure. um, obviously, it's becoming very political right now, and that's upsetting, but it's fine. Um, everything balances out in the end, I think, I hope. Um, what else? Um, I mean, we literally do... We are the best craft beer producers in the world. <laughs> yeah. we, make, we have a pretty incredible pop culture. We have great music. Great, yeah, yeah, great. So much like creativity. Rock, jazz, hip hop, all like American. Yeah, yeah. The diversity that was mentioned in that clip. Yeah. I mean, we do have unbelievable diversity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it, and like both like these kind of microcosms in our um, urban centers, and then also just how different states can be and within states. And like, you can drive down to rural ass Virginia and there'd be like an Indian family running a gas station store. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and then you could go somewhere else and I don't know. It's just like, like the accents can change so quickly, even driving within the Midwest. Like you can be like, Whoa. Um, I, uh, I love saying this. When my first year teaching in Fairfax County, mm. there was 195 different languages that were spoken within the county. Granted, it's a massive county. And yeah, but still. One of the most diverse areas of the country. But wow. That's yeah. still absurd. It is absurd. It is absurd. And 
I mean, we do. We have a huge ESL program in our mm-hmm. high school, so there there are some cer- people wouldn't all consider this good, though. Of course, they wouldn't. But so we don't. No, have, no, no, they wouldn't. Maybe they we wouldn't need to change yeah. the course of what we're talking. Fine. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think the other cool thing is that, like, um, as like grading and exhausting our like political fighting can be, um, people just really care about this country. I mean, they just mm-hmm. really care. And I think that's We're using really American cool. exceptionalism as a positive for <laughs> the things <laughs> that Americans deserve to be exceptional about. Well, yeah, but, and I do, I think that there's some benefits to having this kind of like, we're the best because we, there is also this belief that we do have to hold ourselves to a high standard. And look, I'm not saying we always do, but when you believe that, you know, sometimes you make the right decision, you yeah. know, and like sometimes you do decide to like, intervene in a genocide to for the good of humanity and sometimes you do view your military as as a tool for more than just your own purposes um again look there's a million arguments made of all the shitty stuff we've done but it's not all bad it's just not and like everything um can i can i i want to bring up something that I'm just I'm essentially cutting you off. I think that was a yeah, good I mean, answer. Yeah, I mean, you got. I mean, that's that's, so that's be, the game here. You need to be cut off. I'm like a I'm like yeah. those like that like baby calf that just needs to you kind of just have to keep pushing it where it needs to walk. That's not just baby calves. That's all cows. That's where like shepherds. I was trying to think of like a more extreme version. Yeah, like the calves are really bad. You know, right. Um, <laughs> I, I, just for like a thinking thing before we wrap up here about American exceptionalism. Yeah. I think that 9/11. Mm. Like brought out a particularly bad side of American exceptionalism from just like start to finish. Mm, yeah. Because I mean, and this is controversial to say, obviously. Yeah. But do you remember being in high school, or I think you were still technically in middle school? I was in seventh grade. No, you were in eighth grade. Because I, I was a freshman in high school. Uh. Oh yeah, I was. I was. Yeah. Oh. Um. So. Nine eleven happened. Mm-hmm. And I remember specifically being told that they attacked us because they're against our way of life and against our freedom. Yeah. And I think that's like a complete and utter crock of shit because it ignored mm-hmm. the ridiculous amount of interfering that we had done for the last 50 or 60 years in the Middle East. Yeah. Right? But they don't teach you that. No one said that. They were like, hey, this is because they hate your way of life. And that's not a healthy thing to be teaching kids. Like, it removes the whole cause and effect of the way the world works and makes it a black and white, good versus evil, Star Wars, good side, bad guy sort of thing. I mean, I would argue that it's not anything any different than anything else we have in our history books. And, um, yeah. and it's the cause of so much conflict anyways because people are seeing their own side and it's um, – yeah, I. I like, but, but but here's the other thing. I wasn't done with that example of why I think it's so like it was such a bad. I was example. cutting you off though. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so that was done by a bunch of Saudi Arabian dudes, terrorists from Saudi Arabia, mm-hmm. most of them. Mm-hmm. We invaded Afghanistan and Iraq mm-hmm. as a result of it. Yep. And because of shit like American exceptionalism, it just seemed about right to everyone. We're like, all right, well, some Middle Easterners attacked us. They were Muslims, so let's go attack some Middle Easterners. But we can't accept attack Saudi Arabia because they're our oil and, like, you know, our ally. 
So these people aren't. They're expendable. We're America. We're pissed off. We need to do something about it. And went and have killed like 10 times the amount of people over there that have died, like way more than 10 times the amount of people over there that have died in 9-11. We don't seem to care because of like this superiority. I think there are people, there are a lot of people that care now. I think it was unclear at the time. I think it's what's so horrible about violence and why violence is never the answer. Because, yes, I'm sure our American exceptionalism fueled it. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're talking about a major economy that just saw it's arguably like the biggest symbol of its of its power get taken down with 3,000 innocent lives. People are going to want to react. I'm not defending it, but I, I'm not that surprised that it right. happened. No. I, I mean, that is yeah. like a, that is etched in everyone's minds forever. Like, no one will forget that feeling. It's, you know, and it's why violence never works. And I'm sure that they thought that they were achieving something totally different by, by flying those planes into the sky. I, mean, they, they, I think they thought that they were going to show that America was destroying the Middle East and and that they were not welcome there anymore and to stop, you know, you know, whatever their beliefs were. I mean, and I'm sure it was more, some were much more extreme than that, but yeah, I, it's awful. It's terrible. I think a lot of countries would have done that. I think it's human nature to react in a poor way. It's very hard to convince people to remain calm. Yes. Keep calm and carry on. Not the thing that most people do. No, no, Yeah. but I don't know. I just wanted to bring up nine 11 because I think it's a really tangible example of, of, the problem with believing in American exceptions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, I, I do. I think that that is a, that's a good one. Well, it's a bad one, but it's a good one. Let me ask one last question. Lisa. Try to keep it to a couple sentences. All right. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, I, this is what I'm here for is to ramble. I don't, I don't have any other skills. You don't have to ramble. You can just answer the question. I don't, I told you I don't have any other skills. <laughs> I can't, I don't have any other, other ways of speaking. All rambling right. is the thing. So, without rambling, I okay. refuse to agree to that. Do you think Americans are alone in their exceptionalism belief in their own country? Because this is always thrown around as a specific American exceptionalism thing. Yeah, no way. Definitely a lot of other countries think that. I've been right? to those places. There has to be. <laughs> there are, definitely are. Like, how come no one ever talks about Chinese exceptionalism? Oh my There's God. no way it's they crazy. don't think they're culturally better than everyone. They definitely like, do. It's hilarious. They think we're all idiots. The French? The French acts like anything that's not French is complete and utter trash. They are arguably more exceptionalist than we are and more aggressive about it in some ways in terms mm-hmm. of, like, what they won't allow in their country. Um, yeah, I think that's bullshit. That's actually what makes me the most upset about the the harshness towards uh, American culture. And it's just like, okay, you got racist in your countries too. Like right. you, you are way more anti-Semitic than we are. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's, it's, it, you have also a lot of people that are uneducated, all of these things. It's, and like, you're also super full of yourselves and it's just, Americans are very loud and we're all over the, the public yeah. Uh, the, what do you call pop it? Culture. Pop culture. Pop culture. Yeah. So that's kind of, I think, what it is. But everyone, everyone, this is the thing. It's just humans, man. It's yeah. humans. Yeah. Yeah. I think to conclude on this topic. Do so you want me to say anything say, else? Or? Well, I'll ask, you know. Or on I, that topic, though. I didn't know. No, that was good. Okay. That was perfect. No it sentences. was concise. <laughs> Ish. Yeah. I, um, 
you know, like everything, nothing's purely good or nothing's purely evil in this world, except for maybe Jeffrey Epstein. There are some. <laughs> um, There's definitely some purely yeah, evil people. Life is complicated. Countries are complicated. They're full of millions of people, and each person is complicated. Yeah. America's not perfect. No. We've done a lot of really amazing things. Mm-hmm. We've done a lot of horribly shitty things. Mm-hmm. And I think that we all just need to, to understand that this concept get over the fact we're not maybe we're not the greatest country in the world maybe it's great to be from america if you're like middle class and stuff i mean there yeah i think it's great to be in a certain situation in many different countries yeah true very fair point all right Mm. great great now Mm. lisa That's, that's, I was going to, again, bring up the Epstein thing. We don't have to do that. No, let's, go for it. No, let's actually close out of here and go watch this movie about mushrooms that we're going to see. Oh, I'm super excited. What's it called? It's called Fantastic Fungi. Um, that's also what Lisa calls me. <laughs> Fantastic Fun Guy. Nice. I mean, God, I'm I'm turning into my mother because I remember growing up, she would laugh at my dad's like really mediocre jokes. That is not. That is at least a B minus. <laughs> Fantastic fun guy. Honestly, I'm so I like I'm I'm so biased now. I don't even know which way's up and down mm. with your jokes. Everything is funny to me. It's sad. I better change out of this tie dye shirt before we go see this shroom movie. I look like <laughs> I look like a poser. You're not a poser. You live in those shirts. Yeah, but like, I feel like I'm trying to be like, yeah, I'm wearing tie dye. I'm going to see a movie about mushrooms. Like, I'm not. I don't even like get into that psychedelic shit. You know, it's like it's not all psychedelic. Well, I don't know. I haven't watched the movie yet. It's sure as hell not a movie about cooking with mushrooms. I'll tell you that much. You don't know that. I think there's all kind. I mean, they're fantastic. I'm sure they have multiple ways and uses. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's about it, these Johns Hopkins researchers have done some like really brown. Be more what's up. Yeah. <laughs> They've, yeah, they've done some really groundbreaking stuff on how um, on mushrooms can be used for a number of like mental health issues, and uh, it's really cool and exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's a fascinating world out there. I'm excited. All right, me too. I'm gonna we're gonna close out of here, and then I'm probably gonna end on that Reagan speech about shining city on the hill. Oh, right. okay. yeah. I so everyone, stick around, listen to it, and see the birth of modern day American exceptionalism. All right, my name's Steve. I was a history teacher. My name's Lisa, and I married him. And that's about all I have to say tonight, except for one thing. The past few days, when I've been at that window upstairs, I've thought a bit of the shining city upon a hill. The phrase comes from John Winthrop, who wrote it to describe the America he imagined. What he imagined was important because he was an early pilgrim, an early freedom man. He journeyed here on what today we'd call a little wooden boat. And like the other pilgrims, he was looking for a home that would be free. I've spoken of a shining city all my political life, but I don't know if I ever quite communicated what I saw when I said it. But in my mind, it was a tall, proud city built on rocks stronger than oceans, windswept, God-blessed, and teeming with people of all kinds, living in harmony and peace. A city with free ports that hummed with commerce and creativity. And if there had to be city walls, the walls had doors, and the doors were open to anyone with the will and the heart to get here. That's how I saw it and see it still. And how stands the city on this winter night? More prosperous, more secure, and happier than it was eight years ago.
But more than that, after 200 years, two centuries, she still stands strong and true on the granite ridge, and her glow is held steady, no matter what story. And she's still a beacon, still a magnet for all who must have freedom, for all the pilgrims from all the lost places who are hurtling through the darkness toward north. We've done our part, and as I walk off into the city streets, a final word to the men and women of the Reagan Revolution, the men and women across America who for eight years did the work that brought America back. My friends, we did it. We weren't just marking time. We made a difference. We made the city stronger. We made the city freer. And we left it in good hands. All in all, not bad. Not bad at all. And so, goodbye. God bless you. And God bless the United States of America.